Superman and Santa Claus. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Chris Franklin. And uh, we have a Team Up Christmas special for you. DC Comics presents number 67, Twas the Fright Before Christmas, by the late, great Len Wein, E. Nelson Bridwell, Kurt Swan, and Murphy Anderson. Merry Christmas, Chris. Merry Christmas, Siskoid. It's Christmas! It's Christmas Day! Yes, uh, and I'm usually a Grinch, but uh, here I am doing a special Christmas episode. <laughs> Your heart grew three sizes this day. <laughs> oh, and, but you're you're Mister Christmas. Yeah, apparently I'm the network, you know, Santa Claus, I guess, or Bing Crosby, or Bob Hope, or Andy Williams, or somebody. Yeah, I've I've been on more Christmas episodes this season than I'm I'm losing count. It's insane, actually, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, a good half dozen. Yeah, but uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm using you for. <laughs> for all you're worth <laughs> of bring that Christmas cheer in this thing because um, you know Superman and Santa Claus it's it's um, a pairing made in North Pole heaven yes and in each episode of FW team up one panelist will pick one character to defend so in this case Chris what's your choice because I talk about Superman every week and because I am the Christmas guy apparently I am picking Santa Claus which will mean I'll take Superman which is not a problem at all uh, and as is customary, we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character we've chosen. So, Chris, what's so great about Santa Claus? What's so great about Santa Claus? Were you on a naughty list or something? I mean, uh, seriously, <laughs> Santa is the living embodiment of the Christmas spirit, of giving, of goodwill toward men. As of Ralphie put it in a Christmas story, Unbridled Avarice, uh, he's probably the first celebrity that most kids in the Western world know by name. You know, I mean, little kids know who Santa Claus is. They seem like they're born knowing who Santa Claus is. Sometimes they call him Ho-Ho when they're little, you know, but they they know it's Santa Claus or Father Christmas or St. Nicholas or whatever you call him. He's omnipresent. He's the Superman of folklore characters. Mm, right. Because Superman also has that distinction. I mean, most people can spot Superman uh, out of a crowd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. For me, I, you know, Superman comes up very often on this show. So you know, to name one thing that I like about Superman, I'm more of a post-burn fan or at a pinch a Silver Age fan because those stories are so crazy. <laughs> but something I love about the Bronze Age Superman, who is the Superman in this story is that he seems to be able to meet up with virtually anyone uh, and we don't bat an eye. Santa in this issue, uh, Muhammad Ali, the quick bunny, He-Man, Asterix, uh, Spider-Man, you know, just like Santa Claus, he's so ubiquitous. Uh, that means he can cross boundaries between all worlds. He, you know, like Santa Claus, he's not really trapped inside the DC universe per se. Good point. Yeah, even the TRS-80 Whiz kids, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Most famously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk publication history. We're not going to go into Superman's. I think people know who he is. But what about Santa Claus? Okay. Well, we're not here to cover the true history of St. Nicholas or Father Christmas or Santa Claus or whatever. Uh, we're interested in the DC version. And luckily for us, you, Siskoid, did all the legwork for me years ago on your fantastic Siskoids blog of geekery, and you should link to your Santa Claus history here. I'm sure you will in the show notes. But uh, okay, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Santa debuted in the DC universe in style in Superman's Christmas Adventure, which was a giveaway comic uh, given away at department stores. I believe it was initially at Macy's. 
in the late forties, there was uh, there was a Macy's uh, Superman balloon in the Thanksgiving uh, Day parade, so that was probably a tie-in there. Uh, Rob and I actually covered the story on the latest episode of Treasury Cast since it was reprinted in limited collector's edition C forty-three. So you can check that out. So that dropped a few days ago. There, Santa had to deal with the villainous pair of Dr. Grouch and Mr. Meanie. Uh, but Santa's acts of kindness eventually made their hearts grow three sizes that day, just like Siskoids today. Of course, this would have been the Santa Claus of Earth 2, but maybe Santa is like the Spectre and he operates on all parallel worlds simultaneously. You know, if he can travel the world in one night, why not? So, aside from being a featured player in DC's Rudolph comics from 1950 to 1962 and the follow-up Treasury specials of the 1970s that Rob just loves because they made tons of Rudolph Treasuries and never made a Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, <laughs> Aquaman, anyway. Uh, Santa was relegated mostly to cover appearances along with the DC Top Brass. He was particularly prolific in the Golden Age. He rubbed elbows with Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, Flash, and Green Lantern, among others. In addition to many Santa helpers, Wearing the Santa Claus uniform, the real Saint Nick fought the Seal Men in a story intended for Jack Kirby's Sandman No. 7 from 1975, but printed in the legendary Cancelled Comic Cavalcade No. 2 from 1978, and for a much broader audience in Best of DC Digest No. 22, yet another Christmas with the Superheroes issue. And that was from cover dated March 1982. Since many of the concepts from Neil Gaiman's acclaimed Sandman series began with the 70s Kirby run, you can tie Santa into the dreaming and the endless if you want to. So that's mm-hmm. a head scratcher. Vertigo Santa. Uh, <laughs> Santa was also rescued by the Super Juniors in a story originally printed by DC's Latin American publishing partner Federal, but reprinted in the States in Best of DC Digest number 58 in 1984. And my wife Cindy and I are semi-obsessed with the Super Junior, so we know that story well. We decorated our kids' nurseries with Super Junior stuff when they were little. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, since the Crisis on Infinite Earth, Santa has mostly gone back to cover appearances on DC holiday specials. But in story, he did what no other hero could, deliver Darkseid a lump of coal in DCU Holiday Bash 2 from 1998, which was dramatically rendered on this month's episode of Supermates, by yours truly and the irredeemable Shag. Because if you're going to have Dark Side, you got to have Shag. Uh, he took on the main man in Lobo's paramilitary Christmas special, 1991, and he even sought out the help of Shadow Pact against anti-Christmas terrorists in the Infinite Holiday Special 2006. So I guess there really was a war on Christmas in, in that in the DC <laughs> Universe. Uh, <laughs> the only place that's real. Yes, exactly. More recently, it seems he's been in the Harley Quinn Holiday Special from 2015 and the Commandy Challenge Special number one, which is from this year, but I have yet to read those books. Have you? No, no, not yet, but um, I'm super interested in the Commandy Challenge comics, and I, I plan to get them in trade, mm-hmm. so uh, I hope it's not just somebody in a Santa suit or somebody remembering that Santa exists as, you know, sometimes indexing, you know, Santa Claus shows up just as it wasn't really Santa Claus, right? Uh, but you'll, you'll still pick up an appearance online. And Commandy Challenge is the kind of thing where Santa Claus would really, for real, appear. So, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love it whenever Santa Claus appears in comics. I'm glad to see that he's coming back because between 2006 and like 2015, even the holiday specials don't feature Santa. 
Right. Not in story. Yeah. It's, yeah, they probably not even on the covers. Yeah. They, it's kind of odd. They kind of went away from, they went away from a lot of Christmas stories in the comics in the Silver Age, too. Me and Rob were talking about that. There's a lot of Golden Age Christmas stories, and then there's a lot of Bronze Age Christmas stories. It's like they, there's like cycles where they skip Christmas stories. I don't really understand why, but it just kind of happens. And then, and then even further, stories with Santa Claus actually participating in them get fewer and fewer and far between, especially without those Rudolph annuals and treasuries. So It's probably the rise of the story arc. We, mm. We're trapped inside longer stories, so we can't do a one-off for Christmas, uh, that kind of thing. That's why they're doing Christmas specials with all sorts of little stories in them now, so that you, know, you can have that without interrupting whatever's happening in the books. But originally... The books themselves had, I mean, there are many Superman Christmas stories. Isn't there like a Christmas on Mars one? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, anyway, but this one is was reprinted, you know, in the past as well. Mm -hmm. DC Comics Presents number 67. I think we should just get into it and then we can talk about the uh, the issue in the story proper. Okay. So it's called Twas the Fright Before Christmas, written by Len Wein and E. Nelson Bridwell, with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. Letterer Ben Oda, colorist Gene D'Angelo, as edited by the great Julius Schwartz. Christmas Eve in Metropolis, where the gaily decorated streets are crowded with last-minute shoppers, their arms filled with bundles of holiday cheer. But even tonight, in the thick of the season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, the sinister specter of crime rears its ugly head. Well, sort of. Superman comes upon a troubling situation. A kid has pulled a gun on a street corner Santa. It only fires suction cups, but Superman detects a mechanism inside the toy gun that shows it's far from harmless. In fact, it's hypnotized the kid into becoming a stick-up artist. Superman wraps him in his cape for protection and flies him to the Fortress of Solitude at the North Pole, where he breaks the trance. The Christmasly named Timmy Dickens, too old to believe in Santa, tells him how he went into his parents' closet to open his gifts early. With a bit of hypnosis of his own, Superman learns that Winslow Shot, the toy man, is responsible, planning to use toys to make all the boys and girls steal and bring him the money. As they start their return to Metropolis, one of the toys zaps Superman and makes him crash in the snow. Timmy's fine. But he's going to freeze to death if Soups doesn't wake up. While Timmy tries to revive the unconscious Man of Steel, he's unaware of the shadowy figures approaching. He turns to find himself and Superman surrounded by... Elves! Eyeing up the size of the laid-out last son of Krypton, the elves call for more help from among their numbers. Working together, they pick up Superman's 225-pound frame and head toward their home. Teddy asks who his mysterious saviors are, to which they respond... You don't know? This is the North Pole, Sonny. We'll give you three guesses. Together they walk into the swirling snow. Back in Metropolis, the toy man is frustrated that the live feed from his toys has cut out. He can't confirm if Superman died from the White Dwarf Star Matter Blast that virtually canceled his powers. Just in case, precautions. And elsewhere, Superman starts to wake up. His eyes open to see a group of small and strangely dressed men happy to see him awake. Questioning where he's at, Superman finds his answer in the form of a large, white-haired, bearded man who steps before him. Although he's witnessed wonders across a multitude of universes, the Man of Steel is awestruck to be face-to-face -face with Kris Kringle himself, Santa Claus. Superman is initially convinced he's dreaming. How could Santa be real in an operation at the North Pole when his fortress has been there for years? Santa reminds him that he operates a top-secret workshop 
With the proof before him, Timmy forgets his doubtful nature from before and totally embraces the mythical man before him. Superman isn't so sure, but either way he has a job to do, and he gets out of bed. He's surprised that Santa knows of the gravity beam and its effects. Santa reminds him that there is very little that he doesn't know. Santa shows Superman the advanced telecommunication and monitoring center that he has, where he and the elves can tell whether any boy or girl in the world is being nice or naughty. Falling in the latter camp is the Toy Man, who is being heavily monitored by the elves. They report that he is preparing his deadly toys for some kind of ambush. Santa then takes Superman into the heart of his operation, the state-of-the-art toy shop. Santa laments that the days of simple wooden pop guns and china dolls are long gone, replaced by more sophisticated techno wonders. Superman agrees. The toys of our childhood are always the most precious to us. Like the gizmo his father Jor-El had given him as a toddler, which turned his brainwaves into realistic holograms, unfortunately destroyed along with the rest of Krypton. Santa declares that it being his busiest night of the year, it's time for them both to leave. In addition to his rounds, he is also still concerned with stopping the toy man. Superman considers shot his concern, but Santa reminds him that he still hasn't recovered from the gravity beam. Santa believes once they find Toy Man's records, he can deactivate all of his hypnotic pop guns. Superman remarks he could probably do it faster, but Santa counters with, Trust me, son, on this of all nights, there is nobody faster than me. Calling his reindeer in the traditional style we all know by heart, Santa's sleigh takes off to the skies. Superman, still half thinking he's dreaming, flies alongside, but he feels dizzy again, starts to fall, and is caught by Santa's sleigh as if he were as light as a feather. Santa tells a flummoxed Superman that his sleigh is built to carry a weight far greater than the Man of Steel's. It carries the very hopes and dreams of all the children of the world. The two legendary figures head to the roof of the Big Shot toy store. Santa's intel says Shot has all the entry points guarded, except for one. Santa recommends his usual entrance of choice, the chimney. The chimney is bricked up, but even in his weakened condition, not a problem for Superman. Toy Man is surprised to see him bust through, but not unprepared. The Man of Steel must contend with an army of dangerous robot toys. Santa and his elves slide down the broken chimney, and hoping to aid the Man of Steel in his battle, they unleash an army of toys of their own. Santa's dolls, knights, bulldozers, and spaceships begin to clobber Shot's playthings. Normally, those toys would pose no problem for Superman, but some of them seem to be built with a small amount of kryptonite, and his head is still spinning from the high-gravity blast. Toy Man has him on the ropes. Toy Man's victory is only temporary as he notices another group of toys overtaking his own. As Santa's spaceships blast their evil counterparts, Shot demands to know who is stealing his thunder. He doesn't see Santa and his elves hiding in the fireplace, and he probably wouldn't believe them if he saw them anyhow. The Man of Steel tells his old foe to surrender as he's starting to get annoyed. But Shot has one more toy up his sleeve, one of his heavy gravity dart guns. As he aims it at the unsuspecting Superman, Santa pulls an old favorite from his sack and throws a bag of marbles on the floor. Shot steps forward and slips on the tiny glass balls beneath him. The Dwarf Star energy beam goes astray and hits an attacking robot, which falls through the floor and, according to Superman's X-ray vision, straight to the center of the Earth. Superman destroys the gun with his heat vision, but Toy Man still thinks his toys can save him. Shot was still forgetting the mysterious toys who challenged his own. Santa's toys triumph over their opposite number, and at last, the Toy Man's schemes and plans are finished. An angry Shot demands to know where the other toys came from, but all Superman will tell him is, let's just say they were a gift. With all the toys defeated, Superman collars Toy Man and uses his super ventriloquism to call the police. 
He also finds the list of all the customers who bought the hypnotic toys. Moments later, Superman is flying across Metropolis and the countryside replacing all the bad toys with good ones, unnoticed. He then returns to Santa's sleigh to take Timmy home and make sure the Dwarf Star Blaster is in safe hands, but the toy zaps him again when he wakes up. He and Timmy are back at the North Pole, crashed in the snow. It was all a dream. He brings Timmy home, and once he gets to his own apartment, finds his childhood hollow toy in his cape pocket. He turns it on. And it projects an image of Santa Claus himself holding a banner that reads, Merry Christmas, Superman. And voila. <laughs> that, and that was the fright before Christmas. So this is a, this is an important comic to you, Chris. Yes, uh, I actually bought this off the stands. You know, I, how could I not? You know, it had a lovely Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise be his name, name. Uh, cover. Uh, always been a sucker for a Christmas story, especially a superhero one. And I took to reading this to my kids. Uh, you know, Ryan wasn't the first uh, geek to read stories to his mm. kids, just so you didn't know. <laughs> In case you didn't know, uh, but uh, so I, you know, I read them all. I read them comics and lots of you know Bronze Age and Silver Age stuff. And uh, I started reading them this one at Christmas time to the point where at Christmas they would ask me to reread this one. So it was oh. a favorite in the Franklin household. Uh, they asked for it by name, the Superman Santa Claus team up one. Read that one. So uh, I read this for many, many, many years to my kids. I had to do all the voices and everything, which was. A lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't have kids, but I had younger brothers and sisters. Uh, and um, but the only one that we always would read was not a Christmas story. It was like Kitty's Fairy Tale from uh, X Men One Fifty Three. Okay, <laughs> we used to do Kitty's Fairy Tale all the time for the younger kids. But never this because I didn't have it in my collection until fairly recently. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember the cover when I was a kid. I remember it on the stands. Uh, and I skipped over it because I, I was a Grinch already at that time, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Really, I only bought, I only had very little money to, to buy comics with. So I, I picked and chose from, you know, whatever was on the stands that day and that one I skipped over. But it was reprinted later. I, do, I did have it in my collection through uh, Christmas with the Superheroes. Yeah, that's usually where I read the read it I read it to the kids from that more than the original. In fact, I kind of had to check my brain and say, "Do I still have the original one?" And I went and looked through my DC Comics Presents and I pulled it out and it's actually in pretty good shape. I was surprised, I guess maybe because I had reread it, you know, mostly in the Christmas special with the that's the one with the John Byrne cover and yeah, with yeah. So mm -hmm. uh yeah. <laughs> so I was surprised to find I still owned it. So I still own my original copy of it. So that's that was a nice surprise. What do you think of the story itself? I think it's fun. I think uh, in a way like if you're going to team up with Santa with Superman, then the obvious villain's the Toy Man. It almost writes itself since Toy Man's one of Superman's major villains. Now you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, which I like. I think the Toy Man. I, I like the Toy Man. I think he can be very, used very effectively. Uh, I really liked what they did with him on the animated series with the creepy puppet mm -hmm. doll Toy Man. That was just uh, uh, disturbing. Uh, but uh, you know, I think Lynn Wein and E. Nelson Bridwell did a, a nice job of weaving a tight story around it. Uh, there's one part that we'll get to that's a little loose, uh, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, I love the the Swanderson art team. You know, this was probably one of their uh, later shots at working together on Superman. They had you know worked together in the 70s, starting when uh, Julius Schwartz took over. Basically, that was uh, uh, Murphy Anderson came in as Swan's new inker, and they they called him Swanderson. That was kind of their you know fan favorite name. And I always liked Kurt Swan's artwork. I, I never. 
Uh, I know me and Rob go back and forth on Kurt Swan's artwork. To me, it's like Kraft Blue Box mac and cheese, you know. It's not the best mac and cheese, you know, but it's so omnipresent. It's still good comfort food, and I think uh, Murphy Anderson's one of Swan's better inkers because if you've ever seen Swan's pencils, he, like, fully illustrates his artwork with lots of shading and lots of stuff that most inkers never even bothered to try to pick up, and I think Anderson brings some of that out. So I think you get more of an idea of what Kurt Swan's pencils would look like if they could reproduce them from his pencils back then. So I really like the artwork in it, too. Yeah, and I think Kurt Swan makes a, a more classic Superman, almost a Silver Age Superman, because mm-hmm. these are artists that came to prominence you know, way back then. It sells this wonky, crazy team-up even better, because... This could be, it's a Bronze Age story, but it could have been told in the, in the 60s, you know. It's got mm-hmm. that, it's crazy, it's an imaginary story, sort of. Giving it to these two guys sells it. Uh, makes it more, I don't know, timeless, Yeah, in a sense. I can yeah. see that if they'd given it to a, even if they'd given it to somebody like a, a good, solid comic book artist like Alex Saviak, who was doing a lot of Superman work at the time, I think it would have seemed, it would have been harder to swallow, you know. I think you're right. By grounding it in a one of the Superman art teams, and actually the Superman art team of, of that era, then it gives it a legitimacy that kind of gets it beyond its uh, somewhat silly nature. Yeah. <laughs> because even the way the powers are used, I mean, Superman has not used super hypnosis or super ventriloquism all that much in the Bronze Age or in the 80s, certainly. So these are powers that would come up for convenience's sake back in the in the Silver Age easily, uh, but I'm I'm always shocked to see it like much later, like in the 80s uh, when this was published. Does this happen a lot at the uh, Metropolis PD where you just hear a voice <laughs> come and pick up such and such a villain or such and such a crook? That is such a weird idea, but that's how it's it's told here. How disorienting is that? You know, you got you think about the two cops in Superman the movie when you know Superman brings the cat burglar down, Officer Mooney, and then and then the sergeant he talks to later. You think about those two guys in the precincts. Going, did you did you say the toy man? I've captured the toy man. Come pick him up at Big Shot Toy Store. No, I didn't say that. Who who said that? You know, and they're going around saying, "Oh, it was probably Superman with a super ventriloquist." <laughs> And he's got to change his voice because at this time, wasn't he on TV? Wasn't he the anchor at right, yeah. WGBS? Or, so who turned on the news? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same is voice. Clark Kent on TV? Yeah. <laughs> he did. Superman was obviously the Bud Collier, you know, Clark Kent. This is a job for Superman, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would pitch it differently depending right. on. Oh, yeah, of course. You have to. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because I almost guarantee you that stuff is from E. Nelson Bridwell. Because he was the, you know, the walking encyclopedia of Superman. And, uh, you know, I know having read lots of his Super Friends comics, and of course he wrote a lot of comics, but Super Friends was kind of his baby. He wrote like every issue of that. And he would put as much DC lore and callback stuff in every issue of Super Friends that he could. So to me, that this seems like, you know, if Len Wein was left to his own devices, Superman probably would have just picked up the phone and uh, called, you know, the, the, the cops and said, hey, I got the toy man down here. This is Superman, you know. So. <laughs> or just an in-between panels thing or we don't need to know, you know, once the villain is captured. Well, OK, that's we figure he's going to wind up in jail. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And then there are, there are the, uh, the the Christmas concepts in here. Of course, Santa Claus, who shares a home uh, in the North Pole with Superman. So that's 
That's a natural idea. And uh, Timmy Dickens, who obviously is named after, you know, there's a Christmas Carol thing there. Mm-hmm. Tiny Tim and uh, Charles Dickens combined. So the whole thing, as soon as he meets Timmy Dickens, you know, sticking up a corner Santa, he should have known Santa wasn't very far away. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you one thing. I would not be a sidewalk Santa Claus or, a, or, or somebody dressed as Santa Claus in the DC universe because invariably they get assaulted by some guy with a Christmas tree. There's a Batman story Rob and I covered in the Treasury cast last year. There's that a store Santa and a Captain Marvel story who got fired for reasons that were not, you know, nothing he did, and Captain Marvel had to get him his job back. And the worst of all being the Santa Claus that was murdered in that famous Justice League story mm. by the key. So... It's a dangerous job to be a villain Santa Claus in the DC universe. <laughs> oh man, definitely. And uh, you talked about Rudolph earlier because he had his own, you know, series of specials published by DC. But he's not in this. No, you know, all the other reindeers. But uh, somehow this is pre-Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> do, you, do you know of any rights issue? Is was there a problem with the you know with the rights? Yeah, I know Rudolph is actually like he's not a public domain character. He's still owned by I think that classic. He's changed hands so many times, but I think Classic Media now owns uh, Rudolph because he was originally uh, going back to Macy's. I believe Rudolph was originally created for uh, promotion for Macy's, and then I think there was a book first, and then the song was written, or vice versa. But it was actually a, a tie-in to a, a Macy's promotion that just kind of took off and they got Gene Autry to sing the song, you know? So yeah, they licensed him out to DC to make comics. They licensed him to Rankin Bass to do the mm-hmm. famous Christmas specials, the, the Animagic's Christmas specials. And uh, so that's why Rudolph's not, you know, a lot of times he'll look different from one version to the next. Like the DC version doesn't quite look like the Rankin Bass, but, but yeah, so he, at, I don't, I, st- I think he's still uh, a copyrighted character. I mean, a lot of, you see a lot of things that get around it. Uh, they'll put a red-nosed reindeer on stuff, but if it says Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, it's like got a you know a registered trademark thing beside it usually. <laughs> Actually, speaking of reindeer, there's I think there's it's a fun bit that at the end of this issue they announce the next, and it's next issue enter Vixen. <laughs> Sounds like it'd be a follow-up. Just oh Superman teams up with a reindeer. I have never thought of that in all these years. I never thought of that. I, I've got to give credit to someone who uh, left that comment on my blog when I covered this issue way back when. But uh, <laughs> it's true. Enter Vixen, Blixen, whoever else. I don't know them by heart. Grinch as I am. Uh, Donner, Richard Donner. Uh, no, <laughs> Superman connection. Uh, I can just uh, see now Superman's got the hologram toy and, uh, you know, projecting Santa Claus. And then the door to his apartment flies open and it's Vixen the reindeer. And he's like, or she, I guess Vixen was a she. Superman, you've got to come back to the North Pole. Santa needs you now, you know. <laughs> yeah, sort of like the Flash in BVS. Just shows up. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to save the future, you know, you know, of Christmas. There's a way to actually do a whole series where, like a year-long thing where Superman meets a uh, a different member of uh, either a reindeer or the uh, Mother Christmas and the Long Christmas Superman the Long the Christmas. Long Christmas exactly that's <laughs> exactly what I was thinking yep 
Well, yeah, it makes sense. Superman would be a Christmas character the same way Batman is a Halloween character. Yes, it, it does. It works. It works really well. I like that. Yeah, I, I do. I do want to know one thing. Why does the creature that shows the flashback of Superman projecting uh, as a baby, uh, a, a creature with his holographic toy, his hollow toy, it looks like Battle Cat from He Man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's green with like reddish pink armor. It's uh, I don't know if the colorist uh, Gene D'Angelo or whatever was like, oh, this kind of looks like that Battle Cat thing. So he colored it that way. But it, even as a kid, I'm like, why is he dreaming about Battle Cat? He hasn't met He-Man yet. <laughs> It sort of looks like that, especially the color scheme. Yeah, especially the way the sh- armored plates in the bag go. It's very Battle Cat. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. a face. It's a Battle Cat with uh, like a Scroogey kind of Gonzo-like face. Yes, Gonzo. That's what I was going to say. It looks like Gonzo from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is one of the few appearances by Crypto between 81 and 84. Where mm. uh, he's just the pup is barking at that monster. I bet you that was Kurt Swan just doing that on his own. I bet you at that point he knew the Superman universe back and forth. I mean, he'd been drawing the book for literally like at this point almost forty years, different Superman stories. So I bet you he put Crypto in on his own. I th- he drew the original Crypto story, so uh, he you know he probably he probably said, "Oh well, Crypto would be there," and just drew him in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even this food dish. Is there? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> There's attention to detail here. Okay, let's talk about that loosey goosey part of it, where yes. the, the story's not so tight. Is I guess the dream, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, because Superman wakes up in the snow at the end of the story, and he thinks everything's been a dream. So he goes. He takes Timmy home. Uh, which we, you know, Superman just taking some kid off to the Fortress of Solitude without telling his parents first at the beginning. Little dubious nowadays. You wouldn't want to do that, Superman. You know, don't do that. Uh, we know you're not going to do anything, but it just doesn't look good. Uh, but anyway, um, so Superman flies back to Clark Kent's apartment. He's going to go to a Christmas party. Uh, he's interested in hooking up with Lana. This was the time when Clark and Lana were actually a couple in the mm-hmm. comics. But the thing is, if this was all a dream, the Toy Man is still out there. <laughs> yeah, he still got zapped. So, right. You know, he's still hypnotizing kids. And then there's he finds that holo emitter in his uh, pocket. In other words, it did happen, right? right. Yes. <laughs> so that's okay. I mean, if it did happen, that's fine. But when he didn't think it had happened, then he was just going to go to a Christmas party Rather than go stop the toy man who had all these booby trap toys that were, you know, about to be discovered by all these children. Uh, so this is like the this is almost like a, the Halloween three season of the witch. But at Christmas, you know, I mean, basically what it amounts to with the masks and all that, you know. So I don't think I ever noticed that till I was reading this story to my to my son one year and me and him were talking about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, if, you know, and I just, what I just went through, it's like, if he thinks this is a dream, then he's just totally blowing off capturing the Toy Man. Maybe it was the thing that, uh, the synthetic kryptonite from Superman 3, you know, when that truck was going to fall off the bridge and Superman was too busy. He was, he was wanting to hang out at Lana's house and have dinner and, and sit on the couch with her, you know, rather than go do his job. You know, it was when that, he was starting to turn into evil Superman. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. (laughs) Because you could still say since the, emitter projects whatever's in your thoughts then he's projecting santa and it's not a it's not a message from santa claus it's him Mm. imagining santa claus because that's how the the item works okay yeah so then it it didn't happen and how did the hollow emitter get in his pocket well christmas miracle it's a mystery but i think the real clue that it did happen is that timmy 
changes his tune about believing in Santa Claus. Yes. So he doesn't believe at the beginning, and that's why he's looking for gifts in his parents' closet, because he knows it's them. They're buying them. And then yeah. in the snow, when he wakes up the second time, uh, when he mentions Santa Claus, then Timmy believes. Yes. Don't you? You know, kind yeah. of thing. So I think <laughs> yeah. he, he's keeping the secret. He's he's a child that has met Santa Claus and is keeping the secret because adults typically don't believe in Santa Claus. Right. You know, you can't out Santa Claus, but all the kids believe because it's true. And then you forget that it's true later right. on. And Timmy is just playing along. He's been told by Santa Claus to keep his secret. But I guess the story did happen or else Toy Man is not behind bars. Right. Yeah. It's very Polar Express when you put it that way. Yeah. So it, it uh, <laughs> which, you know, that's that's cute. Yeah. You know, the, the hollow toy had to come from somewhere. And, I mean, unless you th say that it's been in Superman's cape pocket since he was Superboy and he just now found it. Uh, you know, Ma Kent stuck it in there. It's like, oh, what's this? It was in his rocket ship. I'll stick it in his pocket. You know, and, <laughs> and he didn't find it until, you know, 20 years later. I, I think uh, Santa had to, you know, make him a new hollow toy and, and give it to him. But you're right. It could just, it might not necessarily be a pre-programmed greeting. It could just be what Superman wants to see. I think either way it happened. That's my take on it. But I like that they kind of leave it up in the air. That way it's not, if somebody's a real stickler for DCU continuity and they don't want to have Santa in it, then they can say, well, it was all a dream. But then there's that pesky part about the toy man not being captured if he's, if it is a dream. <laughs> if Superman would, would have been more in on it, you know, playing coy about whether it happened or not to maybe someone else, you know, playing it to someone else, then we'd have had that last shot where he's winking at the audience, you know. Mm -hmm. That's about the only yeah. Silver Age thing that's missing in here. True. Okay. Yeah, there's no Clark Kent in this story, oddly enough, but uh, he's never Clark Kent. But he, a lot of times in DC Comics Presents, he wasn't, so. That's, that wasn't the focus of the, of the story. Okay, who fared better? We do this every time. Uh, who fared better between Superman and Santa Claus in here? So how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Is this more of a Superman story, or is it more of a Santa Claus or Christmas story? I think it's more of a Santa story. I think, you know, Superman is, uh, he's totally just flummoxed that he's even meeting Santa Claus. One, the elves save him, so that's a big thing right there. They save him in the snow because, you know, Superman's powers were out. You know, he probably wouldn't have died, but uh, Timmy would have, because, you know, if they hadn't brought Superman back. S Superman's, you know, keeps saying, well, I can go do this and that, and Santa's like, uh, no, tonight, I'm faster, and Santa knows what's going on. He's got the whole situation monitored. Santa's toys actually win the battle against the Toy Man, uh, not Superman, because he is slightly depowered still. And because of the ending, Superman's just kind of, and not in a bad way, it's not like he's a big doofus in this story. Like, you know, it's not at the uh, detriment of Superman, but he's just kind of caught off guard throughout this whole story. So I, I think, personally, you got to give it to Santa Claus. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it it has all those Silver Age tropes, but it's basically Superman giving over his book to Santa Claus. He's... You know, he's slumming it inside a potential dream that is about Santa. Santa also saves his bacon later with the robot, with the toys. It's Santa, 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 Santa. So, uh, yeah, this is a Christmas story from Timmy on down. Of course, you need Superman in it to make it happen, but it mm -hmm. could also happen without Superman. True, it could have, yeah. <laughs> you know, with Santa finding out that bad toys are being delivered and getting his hands dirty against the toy man. Yeah. <laughs> cool moves, cool moves. 
Who had the coolest moves? You know, well, the elves, well, I guess that's not, they work for Santa, but of course they save Superman. Santa's toys actually win the battle, as I said. But one thing I think that Santa does that's really cool is that he defeats the toy man with the very old-fashioned toy marbles. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't get much older of a toy than marbles. uh, And that's what basically defeats the toy man because, uh, you know, he throws on the floor, toy man slips, and his gravity beam shoots his robot takes the robot out that Superman was fighting and doesn't hit Superman. So uh, I think that was a really cool move, and it, it called back to what him and Superman were talking about earlier in the story, that he lamented the, the loss of the simple toys. Uh, and all these technological toys that the Toy Man had are defeated by, you know, Santa's got some spaceships and stuff, but a lot of his toys seem like more like almost like an animated Raggedy Andy and their knights and things like that, so they're more old-fashioned, and uh, they take out... Uh, Toy Man's almost all uh, techie toys, you know, so I think that's a, there's a nice little message there of of uh, old-fashioned Santa Claus whooping the modern toy butt, so <laughs> I think that's cool. Uh, Superman gives a lot of room to Santa sh- to shine, but uh, I think the cool move for, for Superman is actually playing Santa. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he's given the task of, at super speed, flying to all the homes and switching out gifts. I mean, that means he got some real gifts you know, to replace Toy Man's gifts, he got some real gifts, wrapped those gifts, switched them out under every tree in Metropolis and the countryside in the span of a night, while presumably Santa's doing the same across the world with real gifts, <laughs> presumably. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I like that he gets to do a little bit of Santa business. You know, so that would be the cool move for him. What about dumb or weird moves? Let's trash our characters. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's trash them. You know. Okay, the the elves have Toy Man being monitored. You know, why don't they just make an anonymous phone call to the cops and say, hey, you might want to head down to the Big Shot toy store? Uh, you know, because a Toy Man, who is probably not out on parole, he's probably, you know, wanted. He's probably on the lam, I would guess. You know, he's up to no good. Although Superman does say something about... I don't know what made Shot, you know, go back to his his yeah, wicked way. I think so maybe he's reformed. You're right. He has got reformed. a store. He's got a store with his name on it. So, hmm. well, that's true. And and I had forgotten that. Yes, he had reformed because at one point he helped Superman defeat the uh, Toy Man that was in the uh, the Challenge of the Super Friends cartoon. Although there's something in my head that says he actually killed him later. So he's been back and forth on reforming several times. I think, uh, but apparently he had reformed uh, before this story. So scratch that. But but still, if he knew he was up to no good, why didn't Santa say anything? Of course, then you get into, well, if Santa really does monitor everybody, why isn't he always, like, thinking on people that are going to do bad things, especially in the DC universe, like supervillains? Like, I know what Lex Luthor is going to do. I know what the Joker is going to do, you know? so No gifts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's his only reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Lumps of coal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe in the context of that dream, is it a dream, isn't it? Uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, that's how Toy Man got taken care of this time. Mm. We don't know. But oh, true. Actually, no, that doesn't make sense because it, if it didn't happen, then Santa's not real. Right. Yeah, okay, so I don't make sense. Uh, <laughs> the dumb or weird move for Superman, uh, well, we've talked about it quite a lot. It, it's that ending. It's that, oh, I guess it was a dream and never 
checking up on the Toy Man again. I mean, that's a major... Uh, the issue's got to end, but uh, it could have been covered in just a thought bubble. He wakes up, he's taken care of Toy Man by the time we see him go to his apartment, you know. Or if Superman, like, went, you know, like he said, uh, went to the police department and they had already captured the Toy Man or something like that, you know, and, and then that way that could leave it kind of, well, did they capture him because of Superman and Santa or did they capture him on their own, you know? That could have, you know, but that would have t- taken care of Superman, like, looking really irresponsible <laughs> at the end of this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's the friendly farewell. This is a team-up tradition. Most team-ups end with a friendly farewell between the two stars. So how do we rate this one? I think this one's very friendly. I mean, because, uh, you know, Superman, I mean, if you think that Santa at least pre-programmed the opening screen of the Hollow toy with you know him holding the banner now if superman made it up in his head as as you suggested which i had never really thought of then yeah maybe it's not quite as friendly but if if santa programmed it it's very friendly because i mean he's wishing him a merry christmas so you know it's according to how you look at it if it's if it's not then yes santa kind of just left him in the snow to (laughs) to not know for sure whether it was real or not (laughs) let's dump him back in the north pole Uh, yeah because they were in Metropolis. I mean, could have saved the flight. Kind of dangerous for Timmy, too. Exactly. Polar yeah. bears. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> okay, we'll take a break for a promo, and we'll be right back. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. Faster than a speeding reindeer. More powerful than a bricked-up chimney. Able to travel the world in a single night. Look! Out in the snow! It's a polar bear! It's a penguin! It's Santa Man! Yes, Santa Man! Strange visitor from a melted snowflake who came to the North Pole with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal elves. Santa Man! Who can change the behavior of naughty children, eat tons of cookies with his bare hands, and who, disguised as Kris Kringle, jolly old owner of an independent toy company, fights a never-ending battle for peace on Earth and goodwill toward men. We're back. One final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Santa Claus team-up. You ready for this, Chris? I am ready. I have one. Who do you team Santa Claus with? I would team Santa with the Metal Men. You know, the Metal Men are wacky anyway, so just imagine, Mm. what if the Metal Men are on a mission near the North Pole, they're going after Kemo, and Kemo destroys them, as he often does. Santa and the elves rebuild the responsometers, and their bodies, and they give them a more toy-like appearance for that adventure where they team up with Santa to fight Kemo and defeat him. And then at the end, you know, Will Magnus can come in and gripe at him and fix their old bodies back. But they could look like, you know, like more toy-like action figure metal men. I think that would be really cool. Are there any metal men toys? They made some in the Brave and the Bold uh, animated line. Okay. They made a few of them, yeah. And they, they there's some DC Universe... I think DC Universe Classics did all of them. I've got a... I've got uh, a few of them. I, I never got all of them, but uh, the six-inch Mattel line, they made them in, in that line as well. Because it always seemed to me that the Metal Men would work well as an animated series uh, yes. or, you know, as a toy line because you could have, like, different parts to switch out limbs or – it just never happened. Hmm. Yeah, there's those DC Universe uh, – DC Nation shorts from about five years ago or so. Yeah. And uh, they were really cool. And and I don't know why somebody didn't take that. And especially with all these adventure cartoons now that are very humorous. I mean, there's very little action and it's mostly like humor type stuff. They'd be perfect. Uh, It's it's money sitting on the table, Warner Brothers. What are you doing? (laughs) Plus all the chemistry and elements, uh, you know, educational 
bits. Right. They could have like retro and uh, knowing is half the battle kind of skits at the very end. That yes. Teach you something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> for me, I would team him up with Uncle Sam. Ooh. So Santa Claus and Uncle Sam. I know this is coming from someone on the wrong side of the border, but... Uh, <laughs> But actually, both are spirits, and this holiday special would have a similar antagonist. Let's call her Mother Russia. So she's invading <laughs> from the north, and Santa, who is obviously based in Canada, has to call on his American cousin to defeat the threat, lest Christmas be ruined for all the children of the world. So, yeah, I would, I would do it that way. Use it like this, you know, collective spirits. We brought Santa Claus into existence by imagining him, more or less, uh, by letting him represent values of a certain kind. And Uncle Sam is based on that same idea over at DC Comics. Yeah, that's great. That's, it it kind of reminds me of that uh, that one uh, Marv Wolfman, uh, Gil Kane Superman story where uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster have to actually create Superman in reality to stop an alien invasion. Have you ever read that one? Yeah, the Earth Prime stuff. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. That's a that that's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for teaming up with me, Chris. Remind people where they can find you on the network. And well, I am on the Supermates podcast with my wife Cindy. I am the co-host of Superman Movie Minute with Rob Kelly. Batman Nightcast with Ryan Daly, and occasionally I will do a Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys on our FW Presents show. I mean, you're all over the place as far as uh, Christmas episodes go. <laughs> yes, and we do. me and Rob do Power Records from time to time, which there is a Christmas Power Records uh, this month, so check it out. It's dropped by now, so, so check that out as well. A reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments, and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, but you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FW Podcast. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Sis Goyd. It was, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And Merry Christmas to you and your family. We're going to take another break. And when we return, well, when I return, your feedback on season one of FW Team Up. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, Sis Goyd. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman, Superman Movie Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining, five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. We're back. Uh, because of its quick and dirty release schedule last summer, it just wasn't possible to do listener feedback at the end of every episode of FW Team Up's first season, so I thought I'd tackle it in our uh, holiday special, all in one go. Now, first off, thanks to everyone who showed enthusiasm for the concept and for the comics we covered. You should know better than to encourage me by now, but since you do, you'll be getting more in 2018. Uh, though I don't expect FW Team Up to be a regular thing until First Strike Invasion wraps 
in the last quarter of the coming year. Sorry, Invasion fans. I also want to thank everyone who immediately tried to lay claim to specific team-ups and offered themselves as tribute, I mean, as guests on future episodes. Many of you will indeed show up on FW Team-Up in 2018. And before getting into feedback for specific episodes, there is one segment of you who suggested team-ups they'd like to see, some of which I most definitely want to do. Others don't quite fit the rules I've set for myself, so I might as well clarify them here. Uh, I'm looking at team-up comics as opposed to comics with team-ups in them. So obviously, team-up series like Marvel Team-Up, Marvel 2-in-1, Brave and the Bold, DC Comics Presents, Scooby-Doo Team-Up, the burn era of action comics, and so on. But also specials and miniseries that team-up characters who don't normally work together. So whether, uh, I don't know, Batman and Captain America, or Wonder Woman and Jesse Quick, to name one of those plus specials. So if Wildcat randomly shows up in an issue of Batman, that doesn't count. Uh, Series about natural partners like Batman and Robin or Hawk and Dove do not count. Teams made up of name characters like the Justice League don't count. No worries, I've cataloged more than a thousand team-ups that are eligible, Uh, so we're not running out of ideas this century. Okay, let's go back to episode one. Spider-Man and Alpha Flight, which released on Canada Day. This is Marvel Team-Up Annual number 7 with me and Shag. Uh, My fellow countryman, Alan W. Wright, says... It always seemed weird when the X-Men and Alpha Flight turned up in other books. Their dysfunctions were emphasized. The book's empathy for the characters was minimized. They always seemed like jerks. When the Fantastic Four guest star, uh, they put the family drama on hold and looked like heroes. The X-Men and Alpha Flight always seemed crazier outside of their own books. He also suggests a great team-up for Alpha Flight with the World War II characters from Canada's Golden Age, what we usually call Canadian Whites. Uh, because they were black and white. Imagine this scenario, he says. The Nazis managed to pierce the mystic barriers and summon the great beasts from across time and space. The great heroes of the day, Nelvana of the Northern Lights, Johnny Canuck, Lance Valiant, aka Freelance, Brock Windsor, Canada Jack, and more, are fighting a valiant but losing battle against these mystical menaces. All of history's in danger. Meanwhile, in the present, aka the 1980s, the older version of Nelvana, now spelled Nelvana with two N's, can feel the ripples through time and space. She summons help in the form of her own daughter, Snowbird. Snowbird and the Alphans go back into the 1940s to team up with the now-forgotten heroes of the past. And just what happens when Puck encounters a younger Eugene Milton Judd? Okay, the whole idea plays on the fact that John Bird paid homage to the great Canadian comic book heroes of the past by naming Snowbird's mother after one of them. And Snowbird herself is an updating of the original Nelvana. That's cool. And several of these hero strips can actually be found now in uh, hardcover collections thanks to the work of our archivists. Comic book archivists like Hope Nicholson, which I interviewed on a Lonely Hearts podcast episode uh, at some point. We have some very fine prints of some of these, including Nelvana of the Northern Lights, Brock Windsor, and Johnny Canuck. And I think they're all available, I should think, from Bedside Press. But I think the Nelvana book is also published in the States through IDW. Anyway, check those out. Pretty cool Golden Age comics that you might not know about. Now, keeping it Canadian, next we have Gord Tolton, who feels compelled to say Alpha Flight has a special place in his heart, especially the characters from his home province of Alberta. Uh, Heather Hudson, or Vindicator, was listed as being born in the small town of High River, same as Gord's wife. It's the town that played Smallville in Superman 3, and he's pretty sure Heather Heather's look was based on Annette O'Toole's Lana Lang in that movie. Hmm? Yeah? Uh, there was also some talk with Martin Gray as to whether it's Marina, as Shag said, or Marina, as Martin says. 
I say the latter, but to be polite on the show, I didn't contradict the shagster. Episode 2 was Batman and the Atom from Brave and the Bold number 115 with uh, my invasion co-host, Bass. It's the one where the Atom is inside zombie Batman's brain pulling the wires. Uh, Brian Linton starts us off with a dream Atom team-up. He'd like to see the Silver Age Atom team up with the Golden Age Atom. The story would involve a powerful supervillain taking out all of the Justice Society except for the Golden Age Atom. Golden Age Atom enlists the aid of Silver Age Atom to save the day. Together, they concoct a plan where Silver Age Atom uses his shrinking power to make it appear that Golden Age Atom has developed superpowers. This catches the villain off guard, allowing the two heroes to take him out with an old-fashioned one-two punch. Because the story would be written by Bob Haney, you wouldn't even have to worry about how Silver Age Adam ends up on Earth 2. He also admits that he liked this one, at least in part because it reminds him of his all-time favorite episode of the Brave and the Bold animated series, Journey to the Center of the Bat. Come to think of it, uh, he says, I also enjoy movies like Fantastic Voyage and Inner Space, so I must just have a thing for size-changing stories that involve exploration of the human body. I wonder if there's a proper name for this subgenre. I personally can't think of anything that wouldn't sound gross or perverted. Well, Brian, I suggest Inner Space Opera. Eh? Uh, David S. Gutierrez uh, goes out on a limb to say Bob Haney isn't a neurologist. I think he may be right. Rob Kelly wonders if Bob Haney's lack of touch with continuity really did bother readers at the time. Chris Franklin chimes in to say he remembers a few letters about it, but not many, as continuity was really more Marvel's thing, which some Marvel writers brought with them to DC in the 70s. Episode 3, uh, Marvel 2-in-1, number 21, The Thing and Doc Savage, with Rob Kelly. Here, Brian Linton uh, this time proposes a Doc Savage-Doctor Strange team-up, science versus magic sort of thing, and they could go up against Doctor Doom, who has a foot planted in each. But I'm in love with Chris Franklin's high-concept idea. Doc Savage and Hugo Danner from the Gladiator novel have to take on an evil mastermind bent on creating a reign of supermen. In the ensuing battle, one of the villain's cosmic devices erupts, bathing all of them with some eerie energy that projects a part of each of their essence back to the beginning of the multiverse, where another, more familiar timeline is created. Great Krypton! Pretty clever. Uh, Ido Bosnar says the Doc Savage-John Carter team-up that I floated is not out of the realm of possibility since Dynamite currently holds the comics license for both characters. And in the past few years, they've published a number of miniseries that feature team-ups between pulp characters. Uh, Doc Savage, The Shadow and the Avenger, and then Tarzan and John Carter, and then The Shadow and the Green Hornet, and even Dejatsaurus and Red Sonja or Irene Adler or something like that. And Frank... Uh, Diablo Frank ends that comment section with a takedown of pulp stories in general and Doc Savage in particular. Head to fireandwaterpodcast.com to read it and fight him bare-chested if necessary. Episode 4 was Superman and OMAC. Uh, DC Comics presents number 61 with a guest host Zoom Yukonori. Chris Franklin here demands Zoom do a murder mech who's who entry. I'll second that. All in favor? Motion is carried. Get to it, Zoom. Ange liked all the Terminator riffs, and on that chicken or egg situation, Ted Kilvington tells us, regarding whether Len Wein got the idea for this plot from the script to the first Terminator film, or they got the idea from Len, I would guess they both may have gotten the idea from Harlan Ellison's story, Soldier which was an episode of the Outer Limits TV series. Harlan successfully sued the producers of Terminator and received a settlement as well as acknowledgement in the film's credits. Sphinx Magoo, for his part, remembers seeing Terminator the same year he read this issue and thought the movie totally ripped it off. He also tells us Harlan Ellison was friends with Len Wein and Julie Schwartz, so no lawsuit there, and he remembers there being a small credit in the issue, but he can't find it now. 
memory cheats. Maybe we should check the letters page that discusses the issue. It might be there. Uh, Diablo Frank reminds us that Chris Claremont introduced Nimrod, a mutant hunting robot from Days of Future Past's Future, who traveled back in time to plague the X-Men around the same time. Another comic for James Cameron to potentially have stolen from? Santarin did some math for us. Omax time is the day after the day after a thousand tomorrows. So two years, eight months, and four days away. So the future is closer than we think. Uh, Tim Price wonders if, given that Omax's appearance in the animated Brave and the Bold, Buddy Blank was a janitor for the GPA, was that a nod to this issue? Uh, well, Buddy was an office boy in the original stories, so I wouldn't be that surprised. Dracula vs. Zorro. That's episode four with uh, co-host Ryan Daly. Rob Kelly starts us off with a fun fact. Frank Langella has played both Dracula and Zorro in live action. Chris Franklin adds that Duncan Rager did too. And Ido Bosnar adds George Hamilton to the mix. It's almost weird. And speaking of Chris Franklin, he not only agrees Dracula's manservant is drawn to look like Boris Karloff, but is very specifically Karloff in Tower of London. Even put a picture up. Uh, yeah. Chris also kindly lists other links between this story and the Hammer Horror version of Dracula. Check it out on the network website. And our season finale, Batman and the Marvel Family from the Brave and the Bold animated series with Chris Franklin, who made his return today. Uh, Chris wants us to know, first of all, he's very, very, very sorry he forgot to mention the Captain Marvel movie serial in his already extremely long history of the character. So stop bugging him about it. And Mark Baker Wright also spotted the one place where I forgot to put a thunderclap under the word Shazam. I'm very, very, very sorry too. So stop bugging me about it. If you like tonally correct Marvel family stories, Rob Kelly recommends Jeff Smith's Monster Society of Evil, and Ted Kilvington, the recent Convergence two-parter, both things of beauty, I agree. Mike Dennis uh, accords us his very first comment on the Fire and Water Network after a long lurking period. Welcome aboard, Mike. Don't make it your last. He also recommends Convergence, but adds the Multiversity Thunderworld. Uh, shout out to Brendan Wright out in New Zealand. He's been nice enough to craft art pieces for my fan-made Doctor Who RPG source books, who listened to this episode with his three boys. I guess it really was a family thing. Uh, Chuck Coletta would enjoy an animated Brave and the Bold-specific podcast. Well, while some unknown podcaster out there starts cooking one up, I'll just promise to return to the series in FW Team Up at some point. Diablo Frank is back to question Solomon's wisdom and how it works exactly, especially since the historical Solomon, aside from the splitting the baby in half thing, has a less than stellar record as a wise man. Tim Bryce says that in 1 Kings 3, Solomon actually prays to God for wisdom rather than wealth or military might, and that he's granted it for showing the wisdom to ask for such a gift. It's an interesting double whammy, he says. He's known as wise for recognizing how important wisdom is, but... While having said wisdom, he doesn't use it as much as he should. That's part and parcel of the entire history of Israel in the Old Testament, especially its kings. Uh, he says the Marvel family is the same. Sometimes they ignore their better wisdoms. That it is an active, not a passive virtue. I personally agree. Solomon is a weird choice to stand next to the uh, Olympian gods. So I mostly thought of this as a high D&D wisdom score. What does it mean, especially contrasted to intelligence? Well, while intelligence is intellectual, scientific, logical, wisdom is street smarts, intuitive, empathetic, social. One is the magician, the other is the high priestess from the tarot. Antiquatedly called the male and female principles, light, dark, reason, mystery. Is that borne out in the Captain Marvel comics? I'd have to do a lot more research. 
uh, Ward Hill Terry adds an example to the debate, saying Brignac 5 has high intelligence, but low wisdom, or else he wouldn't have built Computo, amongst other crimes against good sense. Uh, Zoom proposes some actual Greco-Roman S names to replace the wisdom of Solomon, uh, the intoxication of Sabasius, the special effects artistry of Salmonius, the healing power of Serapis. Actually, that's not that bad. So the conversation got profound and then back to silly pretty quickly. To keep it contained, I couldn't read every comment or even name drop everyone who chimed in. That doesn't mean we didn't appreciate it, so please keep commenting. It's basically the only payment we asked for. A new season of FW Team Up is coming your way in 2018, so come back soon for another amazing superhero team up. Because as you know, justice is a team effort. And so is Christmas. Have a merry one. Aren't you the sturdy little fellow? Ho, 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 ho.